You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Right. If you have your Bibles, uh, we are going to be in John chapter 18 this evening. We are working through a seven-part series called A Meaty Face because we're talking about the incarnation, uh, the idea of God taking on human flesh. And we're looking at seven statements, really, that Jesus gives throughout the Gospels that kind of reveal the purpose for the incarnation, uh, basically statements that say, I have come uh, for whatever reason. And we're going to look at one of those uh, tonight, and it has to do a little bit with what uh, just happened in that video, we might, uh, we might say. Um, I'm always a little bit edgy about asking this kind of question because in a church setting you just really don't know how people respond to the concept of Santa Claus. You get a lot of reactions about that. In fact, one one Sunday I was filling the pulpit at another church and I told the story of when I was a firefighter and our job in our, our volunteer fire department was to deliver Santa Claus on a fire truck to the elementary school in our area. And that elementary school only went from kindergarten to like second grade. It was a small, small little uh, area there. And uh, so the guy that was going to be Santa Claus was our assistant chief. And, and he was built to be Santa. I mean, he... He, he, he was a good Santa and he also owned a car detailing shop and he called the chief and me up just about 10 minutes before we were supposed to go to the school and said, I just got slammed here. There's no way I'm going to make it. Chief tell, told me what Ed just revealed to him and I said, so what are we going to do? And the chief looked at me and he said, you are going to be Santa. Now at that time I was like 145 pounds soaking wet. Uh, I'm like, uh, why can't you be Santa? He wasn't much bigger than me, the chief. And he says, I outrank you. (laughs) So you are Santa. So we got the Santa suit, and I kid you not, we actually stuffed pillows in around my belly and things like that to, and, and it just didn't work so I got a red the, the, the captains of our department wore red bunker coats. So I put put a red bunker coat to kind of fill me out a little bit and and not show off the contour of the pillow so much. And I got the fake beard and everything and the hat and I climbed up on top of the fire truck and we took off to the school and kids are all out on the playground. The chief hits the sirens and the lights and kids get excited and I'm up there going, well, I guess I better do Santa stuff. So I waved and went, ho, ho, ho. And the wind of moving on the truck blew my beard up in my face. Uh, so I got a mouthful of fake beard, you know, and you know this, and we we pull in, and the kids just are swarming around the fire truck, and the first thing that comes to my mind is that old uh, night before Christmas poem, and it describes old Saint Nick, lively and quick. So I did. I, I thought, well, okay, and I got to remember this was about 35 years ago, and and so I did this little vault off the top of a pumper truck, which that's about eight feet up in the air, you know. I actually I pulled off a gainer, I think, on the way down, landed into the midst of all these kids, boom, on my feet with a bag full of candy canes over my shoulder, and they're just like, wow, and my pillows shot right down my pant legs, so I'm oh. Anyway, I told that story to open up a, a message that I was giving quite a few years ago, as I said again, in another church. And after the message, I was approached by an angry mom. 
I can't believe that you talked about Santa Claus in, in your sermon. And I thought, oh, I just totally spoiled Santa for her kids by revealing that some goofball like me just dresses up like him or something like that. And, and she said, no, that's not at all what I'm upset about. Don't you know that Santa is Satan? And she said it with kind of a growl. I kind of expected her head to spin around when she did that. And I was like, well, I wasn't promoting Santa. I just was telling a story. So, yeah, so now I'm a little squirrely if I mention Santa in a, in a church setting. But it doesn't stop me. I, I still do it. So for those of you who grew up with Santa at Christmas time, some did, some, some may not. I, I did. I grew up with the, the idea of Santa. Um, what did you base your hopes for Christmas morning upon? Okay, well, yeah, you hoped for presents, but why did you hope for presents? What gave you this hope that 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 you were going to have a bunch of presents under the tree on Christmas morning? Tradition. Tradition. Okay. What, what's that? Same thing. Same, tra- oh, conditioning. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what tradition is. Tradition is conditioning. Okay. Yeah. I had no hopes. You had no hopes. Why not? Why, why didn't you have any hopes? Okay. Okay. So you didn't have a, a faith system that would produce a hope in something like that. Okay. That's that's fair. Yeah. Selfishness. Selfishness. Okay. <laughs> Hoping I'm going to get a lot of loot. Well. What's that? In the corner. Oh, in the corner. Oh, I thought you were going to share something really profound with us, but yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay, so grant, yeah, so again, passed down through family and things like that. Didn't anybody here base their hopes on whether they were good enough? Yeah. No. <laughs> because, I mean, that's part of the tradition, isn't it? you got to be good. Yeah, but I mean, what's that? Yeah, apparently they are, you know. So we start figuring that out, and then that's when the Santa myth starts to kind of bust down for us. We're going, wait a minute, because I know some of the stuff my brother did, <laughs> and he got loot. <laughs> but but part of our hope was based on if you're good enough, okay? If you're good enough, I mean, and, and we come to realize that's just how parents controlled us during the time of the anticipation of Christmas is, hey, if you're not going to be good, then Santa's not going to show up, you know, you're going to lump a coal, that kind of thing. Eric gets a lump of coal every year, so that's just the way it is. But, <laughs> but so moving from Santa into actual life and that kind of thing, let me go back to that question again and said, and ask you, what, upon what do you base your hopes? What is the foundation for your hopes? Because that's a human condition. We all have hopes of one sort or another. What are you basing that on? Easy there. Wow. You okay? All right. Okay. All right. Yeah. What my parents say. Okay. You base your hopes upon what your parents are telling you. Okay. Anyone tells you. All right. <laughs> well, that, that could be good or bad. Anybody else? Yeah. Caleb. Um, on the promise that this life is the worst it's ever going to be for me. Okay. So no matter how bad it might seem at the time, that's the worst. Is ever going to be okay. This life. Okay, for this life, it's the worst it can be. All right, based on a promise, whatever that promise might be. That's an interesting one. I haven't heard it expressed that way. Anybody else? What is it that you find yourself basing your hope upon? If you hope for anything, um, what are you basing that hope on? 
Maybe I should ask, what's something you're hoping for? Yeah. Oh, yes, Pastor Brian. Could you raise that other arm a little higher? <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> uh, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Okay. Uh, yeah, just a, a life change is what I base my hope on. Okay, your hope is based on a life changed. Okay. Any others? Jacob. Uh, I definitely, my, I put a lot of hope in myself, and that runs into a wall a lot, so I can see that definite contrast. Okay. Um, where I should be putting my hope, but I'm pretty good at putting it in myself. Okay, sometimes we put hope where we shouldn't put hope, and then our hopes get crushed uh, as a result of that. Oh, you're just acting. I thought you had something you're going to add to that. So, okay. All right. Well, I'm going to I'm going to put forth a couple propositions here, and not to start any arguments or anything like that, because we're going to be talking about truth tonight, and truth and its connection to hope. And uh, it's it's really easy to get philosophical. Uh, about that. In fact, in the text that we're about to read here in just a second, we actually kind of see um, Pilate, a Roman, Pontius Pilate, a Roman, kind of take the philosophical track as he was talking to Jesus. Um, I'm going to suggest to us tonight that hope, if, if, if hope is going to be realized, it can only be based on truth. Hope that is based on any other foundation other than the truth is at best going to be wishful thinking, at worst it's just going to be delusional. Okay, So that's kind of the, the, the concept of what we're going to go with. Uh, hope is just not hope unless it's based on truth. Now Margaret Weiss said, hope is the denial of reality. Think about that statement. Hope is the denial of reality. Why do you think she said it like that? Hope is the denial of reality. Yeah. Because usually when people hope, reality is looking pretty grim. Okay. All right. So it's like it's it's maybe it's better to say instead of denial, it's the defiance of reality. You know, that might be a more accurate way. Yeah. I think that um, she said it like that is because most hopes are um, usually way wacky, like. I hope dragons are real. <laughs> really, that's just okay. out of this world. All right. And, and, and that might be said of our Christian faith and some of the hopes that we have based on our Christian faith. Brian went there. He says, you know, he has hope of, you know, having been lost, now being found. He has that hope based on a transformed life, a changed life. Um, as Christians, we have a hope for heaven. And there are some people in the world that are going to say that's delusional, that's not reality, um, that's that is the denial of reality. You know those kind of hopes. Um, I would probably turn Margaret's words on its head a little bit and say that truly, um, hope is just hype, unless it's resting fully upon reality. Okay, if it's not resting on reality then it's really not hope at all. It's it's something else. Okay, let's look at the text, John 18, if you have a Bible. Uh, we have some on the table for you. If not, open up your apps. Or as Brian always says, shame on you, it's church. <laughs> 
John 18, and we're going to verse 28. Uh, the context of this is it's, it's the, the day of the crucifixion, some hours before it. Jesus has been brought through a lot of trials throughout the night um, by the Sanhedrin and Herod. And now he's being brought before the, the Roman procurator of the area. And they are, he's, he has the authority to make the decision whether or not to crucify Jesus. And so it says that they led Jesus, verse 28, they led, then led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? Uh, Pilate didn't normally live in Jerusalem. He had a he had a palace there where he could come in at certain times when he had to do things like this, like reign over uh, this this proceeding here, um, because he was a Gentile. The Sanhedrin would not enter. Uh, they would be religiously unclean if they would have entered his house, and they didn't want to miss out on the Passover, so they wouldn't. And so Pilate came out to them, and he sees Jesus brought before him. He says, "What accusation are you bringing against against this man?" They answered, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Which is kind of a snotty attitude. Uh, And Pilate said to them, well, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Uh, This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Because he knew he was going to be crucified and only the Romans could crucify him. The Jews couldn't. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Okay, That was the charge that they were bringing against Jesus. And so Pilate just got right down to the nitty gritty. So let's, let's get straight from the horse's mouth. Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom, so he answered the question, Yes, I am a king. But he says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. So he's assuring Pilate, he says, My kingdom is not the sort of kingdom that's going to rival yours. It's not going to be the kind of one that's going to create war against the Roman Empire uh, so that you would have to worry about that. Uh, he says, they would be fighting that I would not be delivered over to the Jews. But again, my kingdom is not of this world. So Pilate said to them, said to him, so you, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate said to him, what is truth? Now we don't know exactly what his attitude was when he said that. We don't know if he was being cynical, snotty, or sarcastic, or what. But we do know this. Pilate didn't know what truth is. What is truth? Because the way, the truth, and the life was standing right there before him, and he did not recognize it. After he said this, he went back outside the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. Okay, you know the rest of the story, that even though Pilate declared Jesus innocent at that point, uh, he eventually did um, succumb to the wishes of the Jews, and he decided to have 
Jesus crucified, which is a travesty because I've declared him innocent, but I'm still going to give him a death penalty as if he were actually uh, guilty. Okay, that's the story and that's the setting of the statement that, that cou- that's couched in there where Jesus says, this is why I have come. I have come to bear witness to the truth. Okay, three things that I want us to discuss tonight. And, and the first thing is this, is, is that I hope we go out of here tonight knowing this. Hope is a certainty. For the follower of Jesus Christ, for those who are of the truth and who listen to his voice, hope is a certainty. Hebrews chapter 6 uh, says this. I think I have a slide that I... Did I put that on a slide? I'm going to have Brian check here. Um, okay, so here it is. You can look at it up there so you don't have to turn to it. It says, We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Uh, that, he's saying be diligent to, to have the certainty of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patient inherit the promises. Now, Blaise Pascal said this back in the mid-1600s. Truth is so obscure in, in these times... Again, that was 400 years ago. In these times, truth is so obscure and falsehood so established that unless we love the truth, we cannot know it. Okay, did you catch what Pascal said there? He says, it, you know, we live in times that they haven't changed at all since his time. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, George Orwell said, during times of universal deceit, uh, meaning deceit and lies are everywhere, telling the truth will become a revolutionary act. Uh, so truth is something that I think we have a hard time fathoming, a, a hard time grasping, uh, a hard time defining. We, we live in a time where we lie about the truth. Uh, we live in a time where we say things like this, well, that may be true for you. That may be true. Do you understand that's not telling the truth about truth when we say that it can, truth can be true for one person but not true for another? It just cannot work that way. Uh, let me define truth. I, I looked this up. This is, this is what it says in the dictionary. Truth is that which is true in accordance with fact and reality. Okay? So truth is couched in fact and reality. And we might say it this way, that truth is things as they really are meant to be. In fact, let's even make it easier. Uh, truth is Reality. That makes sense? If it's reality, then it's truth. Uh, I, I, you've heard this story. I thought that I could run through a wall when I was four years old and make a hole, just like, just like they do in the comic books, right? Remember what Daffy Duck would do? And, uh, and I, my, my truth was changed completely <laughs> when I tried to run through that wall and I found out that, you know, you can't do that. You can't just punch through it like the comics tell you that you can. Uh, sometimes we learn the truth in a, in a very hard way. Uh, so l- let me ask you this. How would you explain truth to, say, a six-year-old? If you had a six-year-old or maybe that little guy in the, the, the lie detector thing, that was just, how would you explain truth to that person? Because if you can explain it to a six-year-old, then, then, then you can explain it to yourself. <laughs> you know, want to take a shot? Pretend I'm six years old. 
Yes, sir. It's what's right. Okay, truth is what's right. Okay, that sounds good, but a lot of people have what's right in their own sight. And so then if you determine truth based on that, then truth can be anything. Yes, sir? An idea in which you believe is correct. Okay, an idea in which I believe is correct. I believe this is correct. You may not believe it's correct. So this is true for me, but not true for you. Okay. So you see, you see, it's hard to nail truth down because when we describe it in such terms, it's, it becomes subjective. Okay, uh, truth by definition, if it's based on reality, truth by definition is absolute. Okay, it's absolute, no matter what we think about it. It cannot be subjective. Now, our opinions about the truth are definitely subjective. If you look up at that image uh, on the slide there. Uh, you see what's going on there? If you shine light on that object from one direction, the, sh- the shadow it casts is a square. But if you shine light on it from another direction, the shadow it casts is round. And what we tend to do is we tend to look at the shadows of the truth and, and base, base things upon that, and it all comes down to a matter of perspective. And, and then we ignore the, the real truth, and that's the object that's right in front of us. And that's what we often do. We'll look at something and look at the shadow that it casts, and then we form opinions. <laughs> opinions about it. Opinions, more likely, you know, could be true, could be false. Uh, and we should not be making big decisions about our life based on opinions, the shadow that's cast, but by the object of truth itself. Um, truth is not necessarily believable. Have you ever heard that? Sometimes it's hard to believe the truth. Um, not believing the truth does not make it any less true. Okay? But again, that's our opinion of something. Well, I can't believe that. Well, that doesn't make it any less true just because we don't believe whatever that truth might be. And quite often, just like in the case of Pilate here with Jesus, truth can be staring us right in the face and we still may not be able to recognize it. Okay? So truth is a, truth is a hard thing. It's a hard thing, but it's also a recognizable thing if we know how it's defined. Pilate said, what is truth? What is truth? Isn't that interesting that, that here's a guy whose job, who had the, he had the authority of judging cases, determining if somebody was either guilty or innocent, and he doesn't even know what truth is. <laughs> Does that sound like the days we live in? Uh, what is truth? That's the question that people ask. They just don't grasp it because they they don't understand that truth is reality. It is reality. Um, that takes us to the second point where Jesus says, this is what I've come to do. He says, I have come to bear witness to the truth. Jesus is a truth bearer. Jesus is reality. And, and, and he was the reality of the invisible God standing right in front of Pilate. And like I said, sometimes the truth can be staring us right in the face and we don't even know what it is. Here's something really interesting. Just in the Gospel of John, um, there are 27 references to bearing witness. 
27 times throughout the Gospel of John, it talks about bearing witness. And anytime you see something repeated that often in Scripture, that's, that's, that, that's something to pay attention to. That, that, that means God's making a point to us. Um, the two words, there's two Greek words that are important for us to understand here when you talk about bearing witness. Uh, the first one is martyrial. It's where we get the word martyr. Uh, a witness and martyr are, are both interchangeable. Uh, we tend to though only think of a martyr as somebody that what? Somebody who dies or suffers. Uh, and, and well, sometimes that's the case, but it's not necessarily the case. Uh, a martyr is somebody who bears witness. A martyr is somebody who affirms what he has seen, heard, or experienced. Okay? So when Jesus says to Pilate, I have come to affirm what I have seen, heard, or experienced, what might that be? What, what do you think that could be? What has Jesus seen, heard, or experienced? The reality of God, okay? He knows what a relationship with God is because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have eternally been in relationship. Uh, If you wanted to know how do you define what a relationship with God looks like, go ask Jesus. He'll tell you the truth about that. Okay, what else do you think he can bear witness to? What else can he affirm the reality of? Say that again. Our suffering as humans. Okay, our suffering as humans. Yeah, he knows everything about that. He can bear witness to the truth of what sin does to us and what the cost of sin is, what the penalty of sin is. So if, if you want to know, well, what is sin and, and what do, how does it affect us, go ask Jesus. He'll tell you the truth about it. Okay, what else? Hope. Hope. He, okay, he can tell. He can tell us why hope is a certainty. Okay, in eternity, you know. Eternity. Any of us experienced eternity? Only us guys that go shopping with our wives. You know. <laughs> no, but I don't know what eternity's like. I know what time is like, and and I try to I try to define eternity using the same thing that we use to define time, and that's just stupid because time and eternity are two different things. Okay, I tell, well, eternity is forever. Well, I just use time to measure eternity. Can't do that. Uh, it, it's bigger than time. It's something that predates. Let's see, I did it again. Predates time. I, I, I can't do it. You want to know about eternity? Jesus says, hey, I've been living it. I can tell you the truth about eternity. Okay, What else can Jesus bear witness to? Is heaven a reality? Okay. How do we know it's a reality? <laughs> because Jesus said so. <laughs> because that's where he came from. You want to know about the reality of heaven? Talk to Jesus. And, and, and the same thing about, does Jesus have a, a reality for hell? Yeah, he actually talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. So you see, what Jesus is doing is, is he is the truth bearer by being the truth and telling us the truth about the reality of things that we cannot perceive, things that we have not seen, things that we have not heard, things that we have not experienced. That's what it means to be 
uh, a martyrio. And then the other word is, is aletheia, which is the Greek word for truth. And, and this is basically what the Greeks meant when they, whenever they said this. They, they said, we're talking about truth, reality, fact, certainty. See, it reinforces that, that uh, dictionary definition that we have. When, whenever Jesus is talking about the truth, he's saying, I, I'm telling you reality here. Uh, 19 references to the truth in the Gospel of John alone. In 16 times, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you. Isn't that amazing? And, and so if, if you're like me, and sometimes you kind of you kind of wonder about the stuff we believe in. <laughs> you know, and you hear people that doubt it. Uh, you hear people that don't believe it. And remember what I said, just because you don't believe the truth doesn't make it any less true. Um, we have complete assurance, we have complete certainty in the person and the words of Jesus Christ that it's a sure thing. It is a sure thing. Okay? That takes us to a third point here. Uh, Brian kind of coined this phrase when uh, in developing this series of a meaty faith of Jesus, Jesus' reasons for coming become our pattern for living. Okay, now this is where we put meat on it. <laughs> okay, we're talking about having a meaty faith, and, and we have that because God took on flesh and blood. God, the invisible God, became a, a substantive reality for you and me so that we can know Him. Uh, that's part of it. In, in bearing the truth, Jesus discloses God to us, reveals God to us, but He also does that in the way that our faith actually has some substance to it as well. Uh, because what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to go out and incarnate what we believe. Okay, um, let me read a, a couple of passages, uh, and and this is the thought in mind again. Jesus' reason for coming becomes our pattern for living. If we call ourselves a follower of Christ, then we look to Him as the pattern of what we should do with our lives. Uh, this is out of the Old Testament, out of the Book of Isaiah. Where God says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, my servant whom I've chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed, and there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. That's Isaiah 43, if you want to find that for yourself. 43 verses 10 through 12. Now, does that sound pretty similar to something in the New Testament? The same God that was speaking to to Israel through Isaiah spoke to his disciples before departing back for the reality of heaven. And he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay, that's, how, that's how Jesus describes his followers. We are martyrials. People who bear witness to the truth. 
people that can affirm what we have seen, what we have heard, and what we have experienced. Brian, just a few moments ago, uh, martyrioed himself. (laughs) He said, I was once lost, but now I'm found based on the reality that my life has been changed. Okay, And if you've ever heard Brian's story, you know his life has been changed. If you ever hear my story, it's the story of a changed life. Everybody who encounters Jesus is transformed in one way or another. Okay, It doesn't mean that we all went from the gutter to the pulpit. Okay, there was, I, I remember once there was this, this elderly church lady, you know, she gave her testimony. And she says, I just want to thank God for saving me from a life of prostitution, Drugs, alcohol, violence, conflict. And she was a sweet little old lady. She's been going to church for a hundred years. And they even asked her, you know, Myrtle, when did you ever live a life of prostitution? And she said, I never said I did. I just said that God kept me from it. The same grace that saves people from those things is the same grace that has kept some people away from those things as well. And that's, that's, that's a martyrial statement, bearing witness uh, to the truth. Now, Jesus said this of every believer. He was saying this to his disciples there at the time, but it's a, it's a truth that pervades all the way to us today. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And what are we supposed to do with that, that power? You know, the, We have the promise, the reality of the Holy Spirit coming to us. And, and why? You know, is it just so, uh, you know, that we're able to do cool things nobody else could do? No, it's so that we could bear witness to the truth. Later on in the book of Acts, Peter, okay? How many of you would think, knowing Peter in the Gospels, that this guy would be a good uh, person to bear witness to the truth? Well, man, if he's talking about grace and redemption, he's the perfect person for it. Okay, uh, Peter and the apostles answered. This is Acts five, verse twenty-nine. He says, "We must obey God rather than men." Okay, they were told, "Stop talking about Jesus. Don't do that anymore." And, and Peter says, "I can't. <laughs> Sorry. You know, God told us to, and I know you want us to stop, but we have to obey God before we obey you. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree." Bearing witness, he's affirming something that was true. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Now that's a great statement because how many of you, that word being a, that concept of being a witness, that just kind of unsettles you a little bit. Okay, most of us, yeah. I mean, even Brian and I have talked about that, that that's just a little bit scary to think that we've got to go out into this this unbelieving world and, and be a witness for Christ. And then what Peter just said there is, who's, who's helping us witness? The Holy Spirit. Remember, when the Holy Spirit power will come upon you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We don't have the power in ourselves. If we tried to do this without the Holy Spirit, we'd be jerks. And that'd be a lousy witness. In fact, somebody once told me this once. You know, you cannot not witness. He says, the question isn't whether or not you have the ability to witness as a follower of Jesus Christ. You cannot not witness. The question is, is what kind of a witness do you leave? 
<laughs> and he nailed me good when he said that. And that has stuck with me to this day. So, let's wrap this up. Let's put this in a nice little Christmas package here. You often heard the phrase about practicing what we preach. Okay, that, that's not just a trite little idiom. Uh, this is pretty important. There's another uh, phrase that uh, we've used a lot in our culture, and it goes like this, as God is my witness. You ever heard that? You ever said that? <laughs> What's that? I thought turkeys could fly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably the only one here that knows that reference, but if you ever watched WKRP in Cincinnati, <laughs> that's one of the best things. You can Google it. You can YouTube it. WKRP in Cincinnati, I thought turkeys could fly. It was a beautiful moment in comedy. Uh, as God is my witness. Yeah, we say that a lot. As God is my witness. And guess what? That's a truth. That is a truth. Because you see, Jesus, again, came to bear witness to that. The reality of God. God in flesh. The invisible God in flesh reveals truth to us. So we can say, yes, God is my witness because he came to witness to the truth. He came to, to bear that reality out for us. But if we just stop there and we do not say, as I am God's witness, then something's amiss and we're not telling the truth about our relationship with Christ. Even as I say that, that <sighs> I, I, I kind of don't want to say it because if I don't say it, then I, then I don't have to deal with it. But I, I believe that the church today needs to deal with this. If Christ's reasons for coming also become our pattern for living, then we have to practice what we preach. And if Jesus came to bear witness to the truth and tells us that you will be my witnesses, then that means that that's what we're supposed to be doing. And if I'm not saying, as I am God's witness, then something's wrong with my relationship with Jesus. Hope is certain only if it's founded on truth. Get ready for this. Did you know that as a follower of Christ, that hope should be able to rest on you? That sounds like a pretty heavy thing to carry, but but think through this for a minute. We are actually God's hope for fulfilling His mission on earth. Because He left it to us. God's hoping in the reality of us following Him in the power of the Holy Spirit. God's hoping for us to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. It's like it says in Matthew 24, 14, the gospel of this kingdom shall be preached to every nation and then the end will come. God's holding off on the end because He's hoping for us to actually be obedient to do that. But not only does God rest His hope on our shoulders, again, if that feels heavy, remember the Holy Spirit's there to carry it for you. Um, We are a lost soul's hope if we fulfill the mission. There are people out there who we should be engaging 
every other day of the week after the worship service in our workplaces, in our schools, in our, in our families, in our neighborhoods, just on the streets. There are people out there, their only hope for salvation is us bearing witness to the truth in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the reality of Christ in you. The reality of Christ in you is a certain hope for other people. You think about that. If you today are a follower of Jesus Christ, it's more than likely because some other follower of Jesus Christ bore witness to you. And now it's your turn. Now it's our turn uh, to get up out of our seats, uh, to get out beyond our church walls. It's pretty easy to talk about it to one another. Uh, but somewhere out there, there's somebody, you're their hope. The reality of Christ in you is their hope for salvation. Here's one more statement I wish I didn't read. But because I read it and now I have to wrestle with it, so do you. <laughs> The Missionary Council at Willingen, Germany in 1952 declared this, There is no participation in Christ without participation in His mission to the world. Okay, If if, if I think that somehow I can just sit back and go cheer on everybody else that's involved in the mission... And say, yes, I, I'm participating in a life with Christ, then I, my hope is resting on something other than reality. That's delusional and wishful thinking. This is the truth. We have no participation with Christ unless we also are participating in His mission to the world. Now that sounds huge. Doesn't that sound big? Go and make disciples of all nations. Even to the ends of the earth, you know? That does sound huge. But guess what? We, God allows us to do it in bite-sized chunks. Okay? And it's just the people that we engage with on a daily basis. And all we have to do is bear witness of a transformed life. All we have to do is bear witness of, of, the, of the reality that God loves us. And that's the only hope we've got. So let me, let me leave you with some questions here to ponder and to chew on. Uh, questions that I'm, I'm wrestling with right now. Am I a consumer or a contributor within the kingdom of God? And I think to some degree you gotta be both. <laughs> uh, you have to consume God's word. You have to come to church and consume whatever, whatever it's offering to you and the fellowship that comes from that. But if all we do is consume, then we just get spiritually fat and we turn into pube lover. Okay. We, we consume so that we can contribute. And, and that's the question. What can I contribute uh, to the kingdom of God? And every single one of us can because he gave us his spirit to do that. Now, this one's really important. Am I an agreer? I don't think that's a word. <laughs> Am I a, an agreer of God's mission? Or am I an owner of God's mission? Because those are two different things. And an agreeer says, yeah, that sounds really good. Go do that. You know, have fun storming the castle, boys. <laughs> you know? 
Uh, and and I'm convicted by that because yeah, yeah, yeah go go get them, go do that. As an owner, that means I'm going to invest in the mission. I'm going to throw myself into the mission. And, and, and it's a beautiful thing that Jesus says, I've come to give you ownership of this mission. Third question is, does the truth of the gospel permeate every aspect of my life between worship services? Does the truth of the gospel permeate every bit of, of, of just daily living between one worship service to the other? In other words, is, is the fruit of the Spirit being borne out in my life every day in front of other people? You know, do people see a, a, a strange gentleness <laughs> in, in me, a kindness, a goodness, a love, a patience that normally I, I wouldn't possess? The trials that come to us in life, when life is really kicking us, you know, in the teeth. Or as I like to say, punching us in the esophagus, in the spiritual esophagus. Um, what do people see come out of us? Do they see the flesh? Or, or do they see the fruit of the Holy Spirit coming out of us? And sometimes that, just that alone, bears witness in such a powerful way that a person says, I don't know what you got, but I, I, I think I want that. And then we have the opportunity to speak and bear the witness of, of truth as well. Um, a fourth question is, is it truth to call myself a Christian without actually being a Christian? Because a Christian is a witness to the truth. Is it truth for me to call myself a Christian and not be out bearing witness to the truth? Like I said, the mission is huge, it's vast. We can't accomplish it in ourselves, but God can. And he also says, look, you can do it in little bite-sized chunks. Uh, Jim, you're sitting here tonight. I didn't know you were going to be here tonight, but I was a bite-sized chunk. (laughs) And uh, I have the hope of heaven because Jim shared the reality of Jesus with me when I I really needed to hear it. Maybe didn't want to hear it, (laughs) but I really needed to hear it. Um, Go out and get your bite-sized chunk. Uh, Go out and get that thing. If in, in both our words and in our actions, we should be unveiling Christ to this world. Um, and, and not as pretentious judges or, or jerks or that kind of thing. That would only validate the false stereotypes people have as Christians. But just as, as believers who know what it's like to be lost and, and know what it's like to be in need of God's grace. That's all we got to do. Is just show the, word that we, the world that we know what it's like to be lost. And what it's like to really, really need God's grace. Because that's really all we've got. Is what Jesus gave us. The reality of Christ in you is hope for someone else. Let's pray. Lord, I can only declare these things. And my prayer is that I declared them truthfully. Um... I can give a, a general sense of application of what we ought to do with this, but I, I think that you leave it up to each and every one of us um, to figure out, well, how, how do I go out and do this now? How do I go out and live this? How do I be a truth bearer? Um, but Lord, don't let us 
fall into the trap of thinking that, it, that, that we all go out as a bunch of lone rangers. Lord, you've called us to do this in community. Um, you've called us to do this as a band of brothers and sisters. And, uh, and that's my prayer, is that we will link arms and uh, um, we'll start doing this. We'll, we'll, we'll go out, we'll bear witness wherever we're at. Again, not in the idea that we're somehow better or more righteous than people, because we're not. Um, but just in the sense of we, we have a certain hope. And, and it's the reality of Jesus Christ and His love for us. Secured at the cross. Um, and proven and demonstrated through His resurrection. Lord, there are things that we have not seen, things that we have not touched, things that we have not heard, things that we have not experienced, but You've done it for us. And You've told us the truth about them. So Lord, let us not be afraid of the truth. Um, Lord, better to go out and tell the world the naked truth than a well-dressed lie. Um, So help us just give the truth as You've given it to us. And, and Lord, as we do, may you bring increase to your kingdom. Um, as we go out and bear witness in the power and reliance upon the Holy Spirit, um, may you change lives. And, and, and may you transform hearts. And may there be many, many others who are able to say, just like Pastor Brian said, I was once lost, but now I'm found. And I can say that, I have that hope, because my life has been changed by Jesus Christ. Lord, this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.